Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Airmic Talks, your fortnightly podcast from the UK Risk and Insurance Management Association. This week we are talking all about motor fleet risk and why it should be firmly on the radar of risk professionals. In a moment, I'll be joined by Alison Moriarty, Fleet Risk Director at Drive Consulting Limited, and Mark Cartwright, Head of Commercial Vehicle Incident Prevention at Highways England, to discuss the evolving risks associated with motor fleets, how they can be addressed, and why they need to be moved up the risk register. Airmic is currently planning to launch a special interest group focused on the subject of fleet risk. This will focus on the importance of understanding the risk, early reporting, proper use of telematics and continuous education in preventing road accidents. If you are an Airmic member and would be interested in taking part in such a group, then please contact Airmic's Alex Frost. His email is in the episode description. Alison, uh, why do you think we need to actually have this conversation about fleets and 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 their role or their place on the risk register? Um, I think it's because really I've worked with in an operational role in several large fleets. Uh, the companies I've worked for have all had a really outstanding health and safety record and taken health and safety really seriously. But as I've started working, asked, could I have a look at the risk register? Fleet either isn't on it at all or is a very small part of it very low down the register. And yet we know that um, a third of fatal collisions on the roads and a quarter of serious injury collisions are people driving for work. So we know that there's an issue there. Uh, and also, you know, if you if you talk to particularly companies with heavy goods vehicles that have got all licensed vehicles, they're not really understanding that actually the biggest risk to their business is probably having their all license revoked or curtailed by the traffic commissioner. So if your vehicles aren't roadworthy or they're out on the road and there's some issue with them, the traffic commissioner can do remove that and you then can't move a vehicle. And I don't know many large companies who could really carry on working in those circumstances. So it's a significant risk in that disparity between how we view occupational safety and, and fleet safety. We really need to, to get a grip and give them the same gravitas because if you think, you know, particularly in the insurance market, the level of risk that's involved with running a fleet, it's not just, your, you know, your crash damage, third-party claims, personal injury, all those sort of things, but reputational damage is a huge one. And we know what social media is like now. And if you have an incident on the motorway and your name's on a vehicle, it'll be on YouTube in, in five seconds flat. So, you know, that's why we need to look at it because it's a, it's a huge ball of risk that's not always addressed in business. Yeah, thank you, Alison. That's uh, nice, nicely set out there. Mark, could you perhaps provide us with some context with regards to the risks presented to and presented by fleets, particularly with regards to your area of specialty in commercial vehicles? Yeah, thanks, Richard. Um, commercial vehicles, I mean, the first thing to say is they are massive users of the road network, it is, as you'd expect to be. And not only are the numbers of commercial vehicles increasing, the amount of miles they're covering uh, is increasing at, at an even faster rate. So clearly, they're, they're out there and they're a big part of our traffic flows. I also often think there's a bit of a distinction to be drawn between the truck commercial vehicle and the van commercial vehicle, the light and the heavies. Heavies, 
they actually don't have proportionally as many crashes as the numbers of vehicles and the amount of miles they're covering on our network would suggest that they perhaps ought to have. And, and that, to me, reflects the professionalism and the way these heavy fleets tend to be operated. But you can't get away from the fact that when they do have a crash, it tends to be a, a big crash and very disruptive and, and can cause significant, uh, significant casualties. Vans... Not necessarily quite so professionally run. You don't need to have any professional qualifications to either drive or to, to operate, uh, to manage a van fleet. And the simple fact about vans is the number of vans on our road for all kinds of reasons linked to dot-com activity, entrepreneurship, is growing at a significant rate. There's now four and a half million vans on our network, which uh, equates to about 10% of all of the traffic out there. And one of the messages that I have, I don't think always uh, operators get the risk uh, certainly in the van space um, that these demonstrate, as Alison touched upon. And we used to use a very simple mechanism in a lot of the presentations and trainings, training courses that we do in this area where we, we just show a slide with three professions illustrated on there. One's a, a coal miner, a second one is a, is a commercial deep sea diver, and the third one is a van driver. And the message we're trying to get across is that statistically, they are probably the three occupations most likely to die at work today. And Whilst I guess you'd suggest that uh, we're, all, we're all very conscious of being a, maybe a deep sea diver and a, a coal miner has, has certain risks, we don't necessarily take the risks which a company driving for work quite as seriously. Alison, in one of our pre-calls, uh, you mentioned the term grey fleet to me and also uh, company cars as well. When, when we think about fleet risk, we often do think about some of the vehicles that Mark touched upon there being the more commercial vehicles and and uh, you know vans and trucks and lorries and those kind of things. How about company cars and, and grey fleet though, Alison? What, what is grey fleet to start with and what type of risks uh, do they pose to our roads? Okay, so grey fleet are predominantly car drivers who are driving their own vehicles. So people who get a car allowance and claim mileage rather than have a, a company car. Um, so I'll just touch upon company cars first because they're actually the better controlled in terms of risk because the insurance, maintenance, MRT, et cetera, is all done by the company. So the companies have good records of that. They know it's being done. They know that those cars should be in a, a safe condition. But the one thing that isn't distinguished between vans, trucks and cars is that human being behind the wheel. So that's something that you've always got to keep in mind that actually your biggest risk factor in any vehicle is the person that's driving. And that's no different in a, a car or a commercial vehicle. So even with a, a company car driver, you know, you need to really be still looking at the driving hours, fatigue, the speed, they need to be monitored, they need to be trained in just the same way as a commercial vehicle driver. And, you know, as Mike said, it's a, it is a very high-risk work activity and needs to be seen as a work activity. So quite often people who drive cars will be supervisor, manager, a salesman, but actually what they are predominantly is a driver. Um, and that's not always taken into consideration. Now, obviously, with Brafley, those risks are exponentially increased because, the driver themselves is responsible for their own insurance, maintenance of the vehicle, doing their MOT. So all those sort of things absolutely have to be checked 100% to make sure that they've got business use and their insurance, which many people don't have, that they understand what a business journey is, because that's also something that people, you know, they don't understand if they nip to the post office for work once a week. That's a business journey. So those people need to have the same level Really, they need to have the same training and they certainly need to have the license checks the same as a company car driver. 
Um, because I think one of the things that lulls fleets into a false sense of security and why a lot of fleets are moving to Grey Fleet now is because they think, well, it's it's their insurance. So if they have an accident, it's their car, their insurance, which is correct in terms of paying for the crash damage. But actually, if you have somebody who's driving on behalf of you, whether it's their car or not, and you haven't checked the license and it turns out that they haven't got a license or that they've lost it for a drink driving conviction, or if you're not looking at the hours they're driving and actually taking into effect the, the fatigue, you know, they might be driving three hours, doing a full day's work and driving another three back. If that's a contributory factor to an incident, then your company will still be investigated and you could still go through that whole court procedure as well. Great, thank you, Alison. Definitely an area that I hadn't ever thought of before or discussed with our with our members before. Um, now, this this next question is one that I think you can both certainly speak to, but I'll come to you, Mark. I know that you do have contact with with organisations that have uh, large fleets. How how much attention do you think that fleet risk does currently get within organisations? I presume it varies, but kind of what what be your general take on that? I think it varies, but bearing in mind my job role, I'll give you the answer, which I think you probably expect me to give you, which isn't enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the very simple message as far as I'm concerned, and it does amaze me sometimes how this passes people by, it's uh, it's an at-work activity, therefore it's a health and safety issue, and therefore stuff like the Health and Safety at Work Act and everything goes along with that still applies, but I still, you know, I mean, almost every day of the week, Richard, work with organisations come across organisations where it is absolutely obvious that they don't attach the same health and safety importance to what's going on on the roads as they do within their factories, within their offices, within their, their production facilities and all the rest of it. And, you know, I could give you some names, but I'd run the risk of being sued. But the, the, the challenge is exactly that. These are take stuff extremely seriously um, within the workplace. I was at a meeting a while ago where we spent an inordinate amount of time talking about the risks of carrying hot drinks from their newly recited coffee machine. But there was absolutely no conversation at all about the several hundred commercial vehicles and, and car fleet that this business were running out on the road. Yeah, I mean, I think right across the board. So the, the companies that I've worked with have had uh, large commercial and car fleets, and obviously that was my role. So they clearly were taking it seriously because they brought somebody in specifically to look at that. But I think if you look at a lot of large fleets, it's one of those areas that can be addressed for a short period of time, but it's one of the areas that when things get busy and when resources are low, it's one of those things that's quite often put on the back burner. And I think during the situation we're, we're just under at the moment, one of the things that I found particularly worrying is how many transport managers and transport-related people have been looking for jobs because they've been made redundant. And, you know, you can't help think those companies still have those fleets and they still have those drivers and they still have those risks. And it's clearly the area that they first thought of, oh, we can get rid of these people because they're not necessary. So I think, you know, there is a huge variance of, of whether people take it seriously or not. And some of the big companies and big fleets are extremely good at it now. And I think Mark, you know, would, would back me up on that. But there are still a lot of people who just don't really take it seriously. And I think partially don't understand the risk that it poses to them. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting because I mean you, you refer there to transport managers and people looking for work with under the present circumstances, and absolutely that, that that's a terrible thing. But equally, particularly in the van and the the car car space away from the truck side of things, I see so many businesses, large and small, to be honest, where they haven't actually particularly got a management structure in there for their, their vans and the cars. You find it being part of the responsibilities of uh, an HR professional, or it's tucked away under finance and procurement somewhere. There's some it's a very specialist skill set and people need to recognise that and get the right skills on board to, to enable them to manage properly and safely. I think you're right, Mike. And, you know, we would kind of joke, but it isn't funny that the person who can end up in charge of the fleet is a person who was off the day the meeting was called. And, uh, you know, it, it sounds whimsical, but, it, you know, it can be true because we um, – so I work do a, a bit of work for Fleet Management Live when we have the conferences and we have an advisory panel. And the most people who come for advice are people like HR professionals, maybe even somebody procurement people who will come and say – look, I've just been given a fleet of 200 vehicles. I've no idea what to do. Where do I start? So that just shows kind of, and Mark's right, they are very specific skills that are needed. I think that just shows that it's maybe not taken quite as seriously as other areas of the business. And I think the thing that plays into that analysis, and again, I guess your experience will support this, is where companies do start taking it more seriously. It's not just for risk profile that benefits. They save money, they retain yeah. employees. It's an absolute virtuous circle. Once you start doing it properly, all kinds of benefits will come tumbling out of that activity. It is, yeah. And when we're talking about, you know, obviously spending money to do things, you've also got to look at how much money you can stop spending on things. So it's not just about if you get rid of a couple of fleet managers or you don't take this seriously, you don't do that, it might save you a bit of money. But actually, if you reduce your crash damage and if you stop having to replace your brake pads all the time because people are slamming on because they're going too fast and too close, all these sort of things, you know, you, you do save more money than you spend by doing fleet safety correctly. There's so often hidden costs as well. I mean, people, you know, in terms of accidents, in terms of crashes, people recognise the, the bent metal costs and, and all the rest of it. But, you know, for a civil engineering company, for example, having their van off the road for a day, it's going to be thousands of pounds worth of costs that they're incurring straight off their bottom line. So, yeah. you know, there are some very, very immediate benefits available. You've both mentioned or, or referenced that there are organisations that do do this well. Alison, can you kind of tell, can you enlighten us on what some of the results might be when organisations do put the right care and attention in, into their fleet risk? I can, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose really, if I, I won't mention the companies, obviously, but two of the large companies that I've worked for and we really started investing in looking at the fleet. Um, one particular company, we were struggling to get an insurer. So we had one insurance company that would insure the fleet. And obviously, then you're kind of at the mercy in terms of renewals and et cetera. And we really focused in and looked at the, the fleet risk. And within 18 months, we'd got about five insurance companies who were vying for the business. The insurance premiums went down by a third. I think in that particular company, we over a 12-month period, we reduced our collisions by over 50%. And then looking at the monetary side, which I never like to do because it is all about risk for me. But, you know, as Mark said, the, the kind of nice add-ons from doing it correctly is that, you know, you make huge fuel savings. And we, we save nearly a third on our fuel cost. And that in most businesses with a big fleet is an immense amount of money. Your fuel cost is such a big outlay for you annually so i think there's there's that but also as mike said 
there are a lot of other benefits. And I think driver retention is a massive one. When you start actually letting drivers know that we care about, A, how you drive, we care about you. So we want you to be safe when you're out on the road and put training in for drivers. Then I think people want to stay with that company because they feel like actually we are valued, you know, and if they're willing to invest in us, then we want to stay with this company. So there are lots and lots of benefits, some more tangible than others, I think. Are there any areas, Mark, um, where we are starting to see or we are seeing already increased risk on the roads in in the last year or so? How how do organisations deal with outsourced delivery suppliers, for example? Of course, we know that the the amount of online shopping, as you touched upon briefly earlier, is, is has gone up considerably. Is that played into some of the kind of new or increased risks on the roads? Yeah, of course it is. I mean, and it's been a funny year, hasn't it? <laughs> it's probably the understatement. But we, we saw quite a few things on the network. I mean, clearly traffic volumes went down massively um, when the uh, the lockdowns were first imposed back earlier in the year. But actually, commercial vehicle operations didn't reduce anywhere near as much as, as the private car usage was still trucks and vans using the network. But what we did see was an even greater proportional reduction in the number of collisions that we were seeing. Um, and a lot of that is because a lot of the causations around heavy traffic, lane change manoeuvres, differential speeds and all the rest of it just simply weren't there because the traffic volumes were down. We're, we're, we're now back pretty much where we were before and we are back, I guess, to the same kind of volumes and same kind of incidents that we were seeing previously but so many of those are around just just the sheer volume and i guess if there's an area that we are concerned with it's around the general stress levels and pressure levels that commercial drivers are feeling not just because of their work activities but just for you know maybe the, the impact of their home life and and everything else that's going on and you've mentioned um you know the the amount of courier traffic and delivery traffic that's out there and you know those guys are working at really high levels some businesses are managing it very very well and very very professionally maybe there are some who aren't to the same levels but it's an area that we have significant concern about is is the kind of fatigue and the pressure levels that commercial vehicle drivers are, are facing at the moment i think as well um one of the things that that we do as a company is uh, we interact with drivers, so we do interventions with drivers where they're committing you know offenses may mainly speeding and one thing that even though we had less vehicles on the road we had more speeding events and that was because people felt the roads were quieter didn't matter as much maybe people weren't really paying much attention to it and they went up really quite rapidly in some areas um and there's you know there's been some horrific things on from different police forces of some of the speeds they've caught people doing and i think you know that for me that's in terms of risk, that's the huge one, and it's about driver behaviours. And once people have got into a pattern of thinking it's okay for speed, then once the volumes of traffic increase on the road, it's difficult to get them to get back into the feeling of actually, no, I, I do need to watch the speed. And I think for me, the other massive increase in risk is because people haven't been really driving the company car as much, people now are thinking, actually, I don't want a company car. I don't want to pay the tax on it, and they're going to they're using their own car. So this grey fleet thing again, and obviously the increase in grey fleet also increases the risk on the road because they're, they're the hardest ones to control and make sure are compliant. There's something else that we're very conscious of as well with you know people seeking new new job openings through you know redundancy and furlough and all the rest of it where they are setting themselves up in for example the building trades and going out getting a van and all the rest of it and it's all very new to them and you know. 
they don't necessarily understand at that stage what's expected of and what their responsibilities are. So, you know, we're getting, a, a, for want of a better phrase, a lot of newbie-like commercial vehicle drivers out there, which I think presents some challenges as well. Just lastly, Alison, I'm going to put you on the on the spot a little bit here, just <laughs> not, one, not one that we had prepared for. Um, but if, if you are uh, an AMIT member listening to, to this episode and, uh, and you think that maybe... Uh, uh, the fleet risk is something you do need to get more on top of. What what should be their kind of first step uh, internally in terms of finding out about kind of the state of their fleet and, and what needs to be, what will be the first things that need to be looked at or, or checked out? I think really the first thing people need to do is bring somebody in who understands fleet risk to do an audit of the risk procedures because, um, you know, there are a lot of companies out there who really do want to do it right but just don't know where to start. And I think getting somebody in to just come and, and identify where you're doing it right as well, but also show you where the gaps are. Uh, and sometimes they're very obvious things. You know, it's around driving license checks. It's around ensuring that your drivers, right from the word go, understand their responsibilities. You know, and I think companies, they are taking on a lot of drivers very, very quickly. And whether they're doing that properly and doing, you know, profilers beforehand to make sure they are the correct person for their company, I doubt very much in some cases. So there are some, you know, and there are some very quick wins for companies, but I think what they need to do is really take stock and audit the procedures and see where they have got gaps and then start to put improvement plans in place to make them much safer. And you can't do it overnight, but, you know, you can prioritise and get some quick wins in there. Mm-hmm.